Thank you, Josh. I wouldn't be half the man I am without my wife, Tina, and my children, and my children. Love and the support I feel here with the family, John and Kim and leadership team and all of you. I consider you family. We're growing in our, in our, uh, our love for one another. Um, I do want to do something real quick, if you don't mind. I want to take a family picture. <laughs> this is what Dad does. <laughs> so that's what I, I'm going to put it on Pano, right, guys? So, because there's no way we can all get uh, get in this uh, get in this picture. Yeah, smile. That's right. Here, here it goes, guys. Ah. Uh, this is, this is what family does. <laughs> you get time together. Images are the best thing for me personally uh, because I know I've got it recorded and that's so important. I look back on the uh, life journey and uh, so we'll look back. I'll look back anyway. And, uh, and the father looks back. He looks back. He, he's uh, full of imagery and... Uh, and uh, we, we all have a, a love language I designed for each and every one of us. And, uh, you know, my love language is, uh, is, is family, meaningful, meaningful touch and uh, affirmation, words of affirmation. And, uh, and, and yours could be something different. And it probably is. Get in touch with your love language. And that's the... That's the uh, that's the language of your heart. That's the language that um, our, our Father, uh, He speaks our love language to us. He helps us to identify who we are uh, fully in Him. Uh, we're His workmanship. We're His poetry, the Bible tells us. Uh, we're created for good works. Uh, we are the object of His affection. <clears throat> Can you say that with me? We are the object of his affection. And, and when we begin to say that out loud, we hear ourselves saying it, and that might be a little bit awkward at times, or it might be foreign, but it really is um, important. In fact, turn to the person on your right or your left and tell them that you are the object of his affection. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. That's so good. That's right. That's good. And then turn to the other person on the other side and say, I am the object of his affection. <laughs> yeah. uh, he calls us friends. Uh, he's looking for friends. And I want to say um, over the Oxford Vineyard that you are his friends. We are his friends. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I call you friends 
because I'm making known to you what the Father and the, and the Son are, 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 are saying, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, and I'm making them known to you. That's, that's what friendship is about, right? We make time together, we sit together, we dine together, we get to know one another. So we're continuing the theme, passion for Jesus. Uh, and the reality is passion for Jesus always begins with knowing his passionate heart for us. We love because he first loved us, the Bible tells us. And we believe it. I've heard it said that it takes God to love God. It takes the, 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 the Father, the Son, and the Spirit's heart to ignite passion for him. It's an, our passion for him isn't simply an overflow of his love for us. And so that's what we hope to, to look at a little bit today. Uh, it is my joy uh, and my honor to speak with you um, on this monumental subject. Uh, I've been asked in um, particular um, to, to not narrow down, but to, to, to share a little bit regarding ministry to the Lord. So, so I'm going to... I'm gonna, maybe narrow things down a little bit. When I think of ministering to the Lord, I, I think of attending Him. When you come into our restaurant at High and Main Street, hopefully we're greeting you, we're welcoming you, and we're going to attend to your dining needs. You know, it's not a five-star restaurant, but it's, um, but it's our, our, our ability to welcome and to attend. And so, so what does it mean to attend? Uh, we, we have a picture in, uh, in uh, John 13, and I'm going to turn to it. Chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. It's, it's a familiar... It's a familiar scripture verse. Uh, and it has everything to do with, uh, sorry, it says, Now Jesus was fully aware that the Father had placed all things under his control, for he had come from God and was about to go back to be with him. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer robe and took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel. He's attending. He's do, is, is it just a, such, a, such a natural picture of the Son of God attending even his disciples in, in their everyday, in their everyday lives. It's, it says that their feet were dirty in this, in this version. And um, in the traffic, let me put it that way, uh, back in the day, Palestine, dry, arid, we're mostly walking with sandals. You know, we don't have boots or tennis shoes or, I mean, so there's, there's stuff that gets on our feet. I don't know how the sewage system was there, but it might not have been that great either. Anyway, Jesus took the towel, he poured the water, and, uh, and he washed their feet. And this says, this says to me that I'm attending. I'm attending the needs, just the practical, natural needs of my friends. Um, I have another scripture verse, if you'll allow me to. It's a, it's a bit of an obscure passage, 
it speaks to me of attending to the needs of others as we position our hearts. It's found in 2 Kings, and I'll read it to you. It's not going to be up on the, um, the board there. 2 Kings 3.11, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a picture to me. Uh, I, and that's so, it's just so random and it's so, so obscure, you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't look for it necessarily. Uh, I'm going to tell you just briefly, I have a friend who's deceased. I met him in 1979. Sorry, 1977. I was a young 18-year-old working at a Skyline Chili in downtown Cincinnati. And this Italian man who stood about 5'1", fiery guy, gray hair, balding. Uh, He had a a grip like a vice grip when you'd you'd shake his hand. And so that's what I'm I'm seeing is the hand of my friend. His name, Italian gentleman, spoke very broken English. And um, he had hands... Like a vice, he worked hard in uh, landscaping, so he worked the earth, and, um, and, 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 and that really was his way to supplement his, his passion, and that was to get the gospel out, and that's how I met him. He was handing out tracts. He would come to the restaurant at the corner of 7th and Vine, downtown Cincinnati, and uh, he, would, he would come, and at that time in my life, I was, I was making bad choices. I was leading a destructive life, so I, I, I was far from God. And, 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 and this man, I believe God sent this man to me, this 77-year-old. I was, I was 18. 77 doesn't seem that old right now. I'm 62. But, but when you're 20, you know, you know if you know what I mean. And I looked up to him, and, 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 and as I talked with him, he would, he would share the gospel with me. And my, 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 over time, my ears were open to the gospel, to the gospel message. And I had grown up in uh, the Greek Orthodox Church, and I, I loved God, but I didn't know him in, in, in terms of an opening up of his, his friendship with me. And it wasn't until I met my friend, Brother Chrissy, Chrissy Gianaro Crisi, was born in 1901. We had the privilege, or I had the privilege to work with him a handful of times um, in the in the landscaping, uh, his landscaping business. 77, he's, he's, he's carrying on and he's, he's attending the needs of others uh, through such a natural, natural means. And again, it was, all about, it was all about getting the gospel out. That was his passion. And um, when I was with him, even though I didn't know the Lord, I knew that God knew every thought that I thought. He, I, I knew that he knew me personally, that God knew me personally. My friend never said, this is what God's saying, uh, this is, um, this thus saith the Lord. It was never, he never packaged anything like that. It just was his life lived out naturally. And I knew that God knew me uh, as, as um, better than anybody else did. Now, it might sound kind of interesting, funny, but it, it, it's the reality. So anyway, we'll go on here. Uh, my hope and goal today is to uh, raise our vision higher as we look together in his word. 
at this subject of attending or ministry to the Lord. And uh, when I was first approached by the OV leadership team, the first thought that came into my mind and image I had was a fragrant offering of incense rising before the God-man Jesus. So I had this image of, of incense. And again, I was, I was raised in the Greek Orthodox Church. I, uh, I attended. My parents were very faithful in terms of their Sunday um, attendance. They were faithful in the community. They served in different ways. And so that was the way I, that's what I knew. And, um, and um, at some point, as a young nine, ten-year-old, I, I, I was asked to be a, an altar boy. That's what the, that's what the guys did. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and you'll have to Google altar boys if you want to. I'm, I don't know that I'll go into it, but there was a, there was a piece of equipment that the priest would, would swing called a censer. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that, but it would be... It would, there, there was a, uh, it was, maybe it was three feet tall. It was made of these delicate chains and bells. And there was a cup that, um, that held the, the charcoal and the incense. And um, the more uh, fire was on that incense, the more the, the smoke or the incense would, would fill the room. And that was intriguing to me. I, I, it was just, that was what I grew up with. So anyway, that's the image that I get is incense rising. Um, as a 12-year-old, you know, I don't know if, any, if you can think back, guys especially, I, I tended to be a pyro in terms of getting the fire stoked and getting it, getting it burning, if you know what I mean. So uh, we, had that, we had that opportunity. Uh, there's a scripture verse in Revelation 5.8, um, and it has to do again with, uh, with incense. And, um, and, it, and it, let me just go to it so I don't, so I don't uh, chop it up too bad. It's a, it's a small verse that you're probably, you might be familiar with. Chapter 5, verse 8 in the book of Revelation. And when the 24 elders and the four living creatures saw the Lamb had taken the scroll, they fell face down at the feet of the Lamb and worshipped Him. Each of them had a harp which, which to me is the, the inspired music even that we get to enjoy on a Sunday morning. <clears throat> they had a harp in one hand and golden bowls brimming full of sweet, fragrant incense, which are the prayers of God's holy lovers. And they were all singing this new song of praise to the Lamb. So anyway, those are, those are some of my images um, when it comes to ministry or attending the Lord. Uh, I refer to Jesus as the God-man occasionally um, because he's fully God and he's in a glorified, resurrected body, even, even as we speak. And he's fully man, a tender shepherd, gentle and meek at heart. He's both, all at the same time, fully God and fully man. Our premise is engaging this one who is seated on a throne and not just any throne, who the writer of the Hebrews says, he ever lives to make intercession. So his, he's our pattern and our example. And we're lifting our eyes in the eyes of our heart. We're lifting the, our faith upward with gratitude 
hearts full of thanksgiving. I believe this is the beginning of a fragrant offering from our hearts to him. And by the way, this happens every day. This happens at your workplace. This happens in your homes. This happens on your bed. Uh, this happens when you're playing, so to speak, and, and, and dining and enjoying friendship. Uh, in Colossians uh, chapter 3, uh, Paul instructs us that since we are raised with Christ to set our affections and our minds on things above, for that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. We're lifting our gaze on a person, remember, the man Christ Jesus, Let's continue this passage. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, not with the distractions of the natural realm. <clears throat> the passage goes on to say that since we've been crucified with Christ, we no longer live as mere humans, but our lives are hidden with Christ in God. As Christ is seen for who he really is, who we really are will be revealed for what? For we are now one with him in his glory. <clears throat> this scripture passage speaks clearly of his identity and our true identity, which has everything to do with our ministry and lifestyle before him. Now let's take an even closer look at these heavenly realms where Christ is seated. And turn with me to this most amazing image in the book of Revelation chapter 4. Verse 2, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you know, some of you are writing down. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a note taker, and so um, you can always look back <coughs> and, um, and for yourself, uh, spend time, and that's what we'll talk about a little bit today, spend time gazing and lifting our hearts with gratitude and thanksgiving. John uh, the Apostle, who was exiled to Patmos, who was exiled to the island of Patmos <clears throat> because he was first attempted to be burned in oil. I don't know if, if you know, that's what history tells us. And, and it was not successful, so they said, let's get him out of here, man. Uh, send, him, send him to this obscure uh, island and, uh, and let him live out his days there. We can't even kill him. <clears throat> he was instantly taken into the spirit realm and saw a heavenly throne set in place and someone seated on it. So this is John being taken in the spirit to this heavenly throne, this place. His appearance, the person's appearance was, like sparkling, was sparkling like crystal and glowing like a cherry red gemstone. Surrounding the throne was an emerald color rainbow. Are, 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 you, are you guys familiar with that, that, um, that language? This is, what, this is what John saw at the, say, the end of his life, he saw colorful uh, Godhead. He saw the colorful Godhead. He said, he said seated around the, the great throne were 24 elders on their thrones in glistening white garments, wearing golden crowns of victory. Pulsing from the great throne were blinding flashes of lightning, crashes of thunder, and voices. Have, have you ever, have you ever, I mean, that, this, is, this is an invitation for us. This, this image and picture is, 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 is what's 
currently, even as we speak, is happening today. I want us to get in touch with that. I want to be more and more in touch with what's happening around the throne and who's sitting on the throne. And pulsing from the great throne were blinding flashes of lightning, crashes of thunder and voices. And burning before the throne are seven blazing torches, which represent the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there was a pavement like crystal sea of glass, bright blue in color, clear as the sky itself. There's a couple other references in the scriptures. In particular, Moses and 70 elders, they went up to the mountain in Exodus 24, verse 10. And it describes this, 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 this throne, this, this place where God is seated. And it's, it's the same exact identical uh, description of this clear pavement colored in blue, as, as clear as the sky itself. And it says that, that the Lord didn't raise his hands against the, the, the seven elders. That, that to me is significant. He's, he's, it's about friendship. Again, that's what we're talking about. I'm so glad Pam brought that uh, part of that uh, message to us, friendship with him. So I take, I take that. Um, and not only that, but in that place in Exodus 24, the Lord offers them to have lunch together. And read it for yourself. It says that they ate and drank with him. You, gotta, it's, you know, it might take time to get your, your heads around it or your hearts around this reality. This is the friendship that God's extending to us. This is, this is what he's, he's making access. He's making himself accessible, even dining with him. <clears throat> the picture of this heavenly realm goes on to describe four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind, <clears throat> which are all around the great throne. Each of the living creatures had six wings full of eyes all around and under their wings. And they never stopped worshiping day and night, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is evermore. And whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to the 24, el- and thanks, the 24 elders fell down. So when the, when the seraphim, have you heard that term before? This is, this is a, winged, a, a, a six-winged creature that has eyes inside and out all around him. And that's what they do, according to uh, Isaiah 6, if you want to jot that one down. And that's all they do is cry, holy, holy, holy. They're full of eyes. They're taking in the Godhead. They're taking in the God-man. <clears throat> and, uh, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy. I'm going to just de- detour for just a minute. Uh, as a 20-year-old, 20, I, was, I, was, I was celebrating my 21st birthday back in 1979. And uh, I, I was doing an internship in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So I was attending school in upstate New York, culinary, culinary arts school, and I did an internship for five months, and I chose to be down south from the beginning of November to the end of March. I think that was a pretty good idea, but <laughs> for a sunshine guy like I am, that's, that works anyway. So, uh, so, so I was there from November. My birthday's in February, and it's my 21st birthday. So, you know, I kind of think, and, and by the way, I'm away from family. I'm, I'm, I'm a 1,200 miles, I guess, away from family and friends. So I call my good friend Steve Ellerton, 
who's from Hamilton, and he was a new believer at the time. <clears throat> and I'm a fresh new, I'm a fresh new Christian in, 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 <clears throat> in my life, just turning 21. I call my friend Stephen Hamilton from Fort Lauderdale. His sister answers and says, Chris, you won't believe this. Steve is on his way by airplane to visit you tonight. He's going to surprise you. So, so anyway, I don't want to go on and on, but uh, I will share a little bit more, and that is um, that I thought, I'll, I'll surprise, this was 11 o'clock at night, I'll surprise him. He won't be expecting me at the airport. And um, so I drive to the airport, but I run out of gas <laughs> in the middle of the night. Well, it wasn't quite the middle of the night, but it might as well have been. And I was a couple miles from the airport back, you know, in 79, 1980, the Fort Lauderdale Airport probably wasn't what it is today. I haven't been back there, but it wasn't that big. You know what I mean? It's, it obviously has changed. But um, so I, I hitchhiked on in to the airport, and I see Steve. I walk in. Steve's coming down an escalator, and he sees me. Anyway, it was it was a fun it was a fun connection to say the least. So we we get his bag, and. Um, and we start to walk out of the airport. You know, by this time, it's 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, and, and we don't have a ride home. I mean, this is, this is a 21-year-old kid thinking, not thinking, thinking, not thinking. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, you know, so, uh, so we, we walk out. We, 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 we start to walk down the steps, and, and there's nobody. Nothing's going on in, in, in Fort Lauderdale at, at midnight in 1980. Uh, and this cab stops. He passes a little slow, he's a yellow cab, and he comes back, and he says in this real fun southern accent, something like, hey, guys, do you need a ride? And so, so we look at each other, and, and we, we're just, you know, we need a ride, but we don't really have the funds either, you know? And so I say, listen, we, we, we didn't expect this. I ran out of gas. He says, get in. And so, uh, so, uh, so we get in, and my friend Steve is a natural evangelist, I'm, I'm that quote-unquote, he, he wouldn't miss a chance to share the gospel with anybody walking. And so, uh, so, he, so we're sitting in the back seat, and Steve's sharing the love of God with, uh, with uh, Smeed. His name is Smeed. He's got a, a yellow raincoat on and a fisherman's hat, by the way, a navy-colored navy fisherman's hat. And, and Steve's going on and on, and, and, the, and, the, and the driver, Smeed, he said, well, praise the Lord. My wife's a minister for the Lord. So here we are at midnight. He says, you got to meet my wife. you got to meet my wife. And she also is a yellow cab driver. He says, we're gonna, I'm going to go radio into her. And she's going to... So they, they, they were, their, their job was, I guess, an 11 to 7 or whatever. It was a, kind of a, it was a third shift or whatever. And um, so we go back to this, uh, this uh, you know, these 12-foot... Uh, fences where there's, it's the, um, it's where all the yellow cabs, I mean, there's a, a, dozens of yellow cabs in this, in this parking lot, and it's all fenced off, and his wife comes, and, and, uh, and, and one thing leads to another. This, this couple owns three sailboats on the intercoastal in Fort Lauderdale, and the, uh, the, they rent two out, and the largest ones, they li- the largest one they live, they actually live on the intercoastal um, on a on a sailboat, 53-foot sailboat, try to get a picture. You know, those, those tractor trailers are about 51 feet, I think, when you see them, you know, the, the, big, the big tractor trails on the road. This is 51, this is a 50, 51-foot uh, 
sailboat, and the name of it is the Seraphim, of all things. I never heard of I didn't know what a seraphim was, so that was my introduction to, to this six-winged uh, uh, creature full of eyes in front and behind. Anyway, sorry I got a little bunny trail there, but uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to the 20... Whenever they gave thanks, the 24 elders fell face down before the one seated on the throne, and they worshiped and surrendered their crowns before the throne, singing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your plan they were created and exist. What a magnificent picture of a clear image of perpetual, ongoing ministry to the Lord. It has to do with, well... The scene describes in detail some of the elements of what I'm referring to as ministry or attending unto the Lord, and it includes singing, we see that, declaring, bowing low with thanksgiving, showing honor to the rightful king. We have, I, we have an open invitation and grand access to approach, gaze, and lift our hearts with gratitude to the Ancient of Days, this one seated on a throne. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll just remember that Paul, Paul's encouragement to set our minds in, on things above where Christ is seated, to set our affections, the place where we live, the place where we process, and to, put, to, to set those things above, not on earthly things. And I'd like to say that this setting is easier said than done. It's an invitation to be transformed on the inner life, and it happens as we lift our gaze to the radiant splendor of the God-man. As we attend and or minister to him, he tenderizes our emotional chemistry and he rewrites the narrative and story of our lives. As we engage him, he changes and transforms our inner life. He begins to place us in his narrative of the ages and in his storyline. This setting of our heart requires our voluntary love as weak as it might be. Emphasis on voluntary. It's, it's, it's what moves his heart. He, he's not looking for robots. He's not, he hasn't, uh, he, he's given us a choice and I think that's what I'm, I'm trying to communicate. He's, he's given us decisions uh, day in and day out moment by moment, uh, to set our hearts, even, even our weak yes to him, to, 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 to say yes to his leadership day in and day out, uh, our willingness de- daily declaring our love for, to him and for him. Setting our gaze and attention requires time, and time is probably the greatest commodity, the most valuable thing we have to offer in this life. We all have it. We all have the same amount of it. And uh, how, how do we spend it? Uh, we, we, rec- we recreate, we recreate, we, we, we play music, we sing, we, 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 we sit with friends, we play with friends, we play baseball, we play football, we play soccer and frisbee and lacrosse. We do all these things, and at the same time, we have opportunity to carve out, and that's what I'm getting at. We, we have opportunity to carve out time as we lift our, our gaze upward. 
Um, And I'll go on as far as to say it buys us oil. Jesus says, buy oil. He says, buy gold, buy eye salve, buy white raiments or garments. Time is, is, uh, is, 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 our, is ours. Paul, Paul says, uh, uh, make the most of your time. Make the most of every opportunity. He's giving us access and loving invitation to himself. Attending him requires yielding our schedules. I'm speaking for myself, a business owner, a husband, a father of adult children, our grandfather. We all have the same amount of it, and we have the opportunity to to carve it out with him. Do you know that your pure devotion, your weak love, voluntary love, it moves his heart? Every small yes directed to him, especially in the face of adversity, pain, temptation, discouragement, and distraction, Our yes overcomes his heart. I'm suggesting that our weak love and our daily yes to him moves his heart. Did you know that you have the ability to move his heart? Each each one of us does. It has to do with friendship. It has to do with intimacy. Our love directed to him ravishes his heart. That's the way the language that I read in the, in the, in the, in the book, <laughs> in the scriptures tell us it, it ravishes his heart. Think about that. It d- doesn't just get his attention, but it, it actually, it moves his heart. And that's what we have the ability to do. Let's look together in this passage of scripture in what I like to call the song of all songs, better known as the song of Solomon, Christ and his bride, a story of the love of the ages. Chapter 4 Verse 9. I don't know if that comes up. Oh, my goodness. <gasps> Bree Fry. <laughs> Thank you, Bree. Chapter 4, verse 9. We are feasting on the heavenly realm here. We are turning our gaze and lifting our hearts to the realities of his heart. He says, For you reach into my heart with one flash or turn of your eyes toward me. I am undone by your love, my beloved my equal, my bride. He says that over the the Oxford family. You leave me breathless. This is the God-man. This is the king of all kings, the bridegroom God. He says, I am overcome by merely a turn and gaze and glance of your worshiping eyes. He goes on to say, you have stolen my heart. I am held hostage by your weak voluntary love and by the graces of righteousness I see shining upon you. (laughs) It takes time to take this in, guys, and it may be the first time you've heard of it or maybe in this language I'm not suggesting that it's the first time, but I really encourage you to to let his words of affirmation. This, this again, is is my love language, and and I wouldn't be surprised if 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 it doesn't there's not a thread that runs through each of, our, each of our hearts regarding intimacy and love for him and his love for us. Jesus is describing our identity, our true identity lived out before him and the magnitude of impact it has on his heart. 
Jesus in the Song of All Songs goes on to say that our weak but sincere love is intoxicating and thrilling to him. Our loving words of affection and the sincere intentions of our longing and love for him are like the honeycomb to me. He, that's what he says in the, in the scriptures. This is his response to our, <clears throat> to our upward gaze in, in face of pain, in the face of adversity, in the face of a, a broken relationships or, or brokenness that we're, that we're carrying. He says it's like a honeycomb to him. We're, we're reaching for superior pleasures in the words of his affirmation. And that's what we're getting here in the Song of Songs, that God himself would give us language to sing our songs of gratitude and love to him, that he would give us courage before him and help us bring new songs to him, describing his beauty and radiance and splendor. I, know, I don't suggest that we all sing. I'm not a singer. You wouldn't want to hear me sing, but, I, but he loves my, my voice. <laughs> and we all have it. That's what we have. And we have it uniquely and individually. We all have our unique voice to give to him. And he's just, he's undone. He says, I'm undone. I'm breathless. Uh, there's a, a, a phrase that I've been thinking about, um, and I'm going to share it. And um, it's simple, and it's, it's, it's part of a song. And, and this, is, this, is, this is the practice that we get to practice together, and we get to practice alone in our closet. I'm a lover of your presence. I'm a lover of your presence, and it's where I want to be. <laughs> that's, that's so simple. You know, when, I, when I say that out loud to him, I, I take that language and I, just, I give it to him and I, and I repeat it. He, he, he responds. He responds to my, my weak love, my, my weak phrases of love and my uh, simple ad, ad, adoration uh, and devotion to him. Our identity is being transformed and changed as we look upon this man. We are becoming irresistible to him. Think about that. Have you ever considered your everyday decisions to choose him to be irresistible to him? I will go on and speak of this mutual love in the Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 4. For those who are taking, I'm looking at Art. Art's getting it down. <laughs> Jesus' words to his bride, Oh, my beloved, you are lovely. When I see you in your beauty, I see a radiant city where we will dwell together as one. More pleasing. Yeah, I didn't give you a chance. That's, that's Song of Solomon chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Look at that. My goodness. <laughs> I love it. It's up there. More pleasing than any pleasure. More delightful than any delight. You have ravished my heart, stealing away my strength to resist you. Turn your eyes away from me. I can't take it anymore. I can't resist these eyes that I adore. Overpowered by a glance, every decision to say yes to him, every weak yes, have ravished my heart. It is undone. Held captive by your love, I am truly overcome. For your undying devotion to me is the most yielded sacrifice. 
So I'm saying that our pure and simple devotion, ministry to him, attending his heart, moves his heart. And Jesus said to the woman at the well, who knew five husbands and a Samaritan at that, and I'm, and I'm thinking about the culture in Palestine back 2,000 years ago, probably wasn't feeling great about herself or great about her identity, especially in the culture at that time. But Jesus says to her, from now on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in the truth. Jesus didn't disqualify the Samaritan woman, and neither is he disqualifying us. He takes time with us. He knows us inside and out. He's still calling us and inviting us to look at heaven every day for connection and love. Let's come to him with fresh new lenses and see him rightly and allow his beauty, his majesty and splendor, his heart of affection to wash us afresh and give us confidence, new confidence as bridal partner to himself. Let's talk about feasting or feeding practically on the God-man, Jesus. How do we do it? How do we receive and give our affections to him in every season of our lives? Interesting. Pam talked about the, the seasons of life, and, and I, just, I just love that. Every season is different. Not every season is, 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 is skipping from mountain to mountain. We, we find ourselves in valleys, obviously, but he's, he's right there. In the mundane seasons, in the busy seasons, in the seasons of pressure and discouragement, <clears throat> how do we stay connected or get reconnected to him in these various seasons of life, various seasons of life, and the demands that we find ourselves in on occasion? Uh, I will suggest one proven way to stay, re to stay, remain, abide in him. And first of all, it requires our time and one of the greatest and most valuable commodities this side of heaven. I hope that this is an on-ramp for us, something to practice. I found for me that meditating on his words, eating the scroll, chewing and digesting his thoughts and feelings toward me, found in the record of Scripture, has kept me abiding in him. Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father's the vine dresser. He says, abide in me, remain in me, stay with me, live with me. And, I'll, and, he, and then his promise is, and I'll live with you, I'll abide with you. He says, let your words abide, let my words abide in you. He says, without me, you can do nothing. That, that's striking. That, that'll, uh, that'll hopefully wake me up. Um, it's been my life source over decades, but it's built over days in weeks, months, and years, it's an exercise and discipline of taking passages, favorite pass, take a favorite passage, take a favorite sentence in the scriptures, take a phrase, a paragraph, take a whole chapter, take a whole book of the Bible. And, and with, a, with these are my favorite things, my, my notebook and my pen. Does anybody have a notebook? Does anybody have a pen? Seriously, guys. 
And I will give um, a shout out to Bill, Billy Boy Wilson. <laughs> Many years ago, 12, 15 years ago, Bill said, Chris, you got to check this out. Graham Cook, he's, 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 he's doing these exercises with journaling. Does anybody journal? And that was really not my first, but it was a kickstart for me. It was a jumpstart. I begin to write my thoughts down, what, just to be honest with him. Just, and that might be a practice for some of us. It's the right thing because it developed. We have another good friend in uh, Kansas City, D. Bennett. Kirk and D. Bennett's our dear friends. And D. talks about scribing, taking this, take, just taking a... I buy four or five notebooks, you know, for $6 each or whatever. You can buy them for a dollar. And a, and, a, and, a, and a pen at the beginning of the year. And because I've come to point, I don't want to have to go run to the store, not that that's a big, big deal, but I've got, I've got backup notebooks that are empty. <laughs> There's something about penning, putting a pen to the paper when it has to do with the scriptures. And it slows us down is what it does. And f for those of us who who have a hard time slowing down. And, and, and it's probably, maybe it's, it's maybe not everybody in the room. Izzy, Josh, you guys gave me a book one Christmas, a couple Christmases ago, and the book is titled something about hurry. Say it again. The Ruthless Elimination. Lynn probably gave it to me. <laughs> one of the family members gave it to me. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Wow. It's, it's making time. It's slowing down. It's, it's, um, there's so much traffic, and there's so, you know, technology is, is, uh, is in a good way at our disposal, and, 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 and how we use it or don't use it is, is up to us. Some of us don't use technology, and I, I acknowledge that. I do, um, but I, I know that it, it can get in the way. It can get in the way of, of my everyday. So that's, that's what I'm... Uh, that's what I'm uh, suggesting. Meditating on his words, eating the scroll. Uh, it, it's an exercise and a discipline um, that's worth our time. Hand dictating, writing, inscribing the words word for word. It, it helps us slow down. It requires time and attention, and all of us have that. Emphasis on slowing down, writing the word for word. In addition to writing, we ask for his thoughts his understanding, what he's feeling about that passage or that word. We write it, we rewrite it. Sometimes we read it, each word out loud while writing. There's no formula, obviously. It helps to hear myself, as we talked about earlier. It helps to hear ourselves, hear ourselves out loud, especially as it pertains to the Scriptures. You'll be surprised at his desire and ability to feed us. The divine encourager, the spirit of truth, loves to take what belongs to the Father and Son and make it known to us. This is an ancient path back to him and an exercise and discipline that was used, obviously, before the printing press. You'll be surprised at what happens as we begin to, pr as we begin to practice this age-old discipline and how it keeps us connected to him. This form of writing down is a kind of meditation that has strengthened my heart over time. Is there anyone here in the room who could use a little or a lot of encouragement and strengthening these days? 
here we are coming out of COVID, we think. Uh, not to go there, but I mean, it's been a, it's been a rough year for me anyway. Uh, take your favorite passage. You all have a favorite passage. You probably have a handful or more. And begin to, begin to write them down. Begin to write them out. And, and, I, and, I, and I bet that in time, the Holy Spirit will illumine and he'll light, he'll light on those words. Give us understanding, fresh, fresh understanding. I found that in addition to meditation, another exercise and an on-ramp to ministering to him has to do with fasting. It creates hunger and longing for him. Jesus, um, in, uh, in, uh, in the gospel, John comes to Jesus. John's disciples come to Jesus, and they ask him why his disciples don't fast. And, and Jesus says, as long as the bridegroom is with you, there's no need to fast. They were enjoying his presence. They were joy, enjoying the pleasure of knowing him and running with him and hanging with him. But he says, when the bridegroom is taken away, then you'll fast. That's, that's us, you guys. And, 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 it's, and it creates longing. It, it creates desire. Trust me, it does. And over time, in rhythms of fasting, it may be a, it may be a meal and replace that meal. I think De, Deb Anderson has, has, has an exercise or she has a, a routine, it, seasons, I'm sure, of, of taking, taking an afternoon lunch. And instead of chowing down, taking the Word and, and feeding on the Word. That's been an inspiration to me. Those are, things, those are practical things, bite-sized pieces, bite-sized pieces, <laughs> as it pertains to fasting, that we can, that we can, that we can take, we can, we can bring into our, 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 our daily lives. Or once a week. Maybe it's once a week or maybe it's once a month. Uh, there's something to be said about denying ourselves for short seasons of fasting to gain understanding and propel and catapult us to new seasons in our lives, or simply setting our hearts aright and aligning our spirit with him. And we've talked about this. He wants friends. Friends spend time together. Practicing his presence in the everyday mundane routine of life is our experience, all of our experience. Attending school, reaching for an education, being a mom or a dad, getting up at all hours of the night, managing our finances, carrying a career and all that comes with that. <clears throat> we find ourselves in the everyday routine of life and with the routines we all face, we get annoyed, we get angry, we get irritable at times. We work hard at staying in relationship with others and we don't have to give up our devotion and ministry to the Lord. I'm going um, to move forward here. I want to just touch real quickly on the corporate setting of ministry to the Lord the way I've experienced it. It's on a Sunday morning. Thankfully, Lynn, Bree, the team, the leadership team have, have arranged. They practice, the musicians, the singers. <clears throat> this doesn't come naturally. It comes with work, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit aware of that. Let's, let's give a shout out to our, our musicians and singers and our, uh, our worship pastor. <laughs> God, God, give, God give them everything that they need. Uh, 
we find that, that uh, and we've talked a little bit about this, music seems to be, a, 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 well, it's, 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 it's a heavenly thing that's happening in, in, in the heavens. And, uh, and King David brought it down a thousand years ago, whenever it was. He brought it down to the earth. He saw the picture. He's mirroring uh, the picture in heaven when he brings and hires 4,000 skilled musicians, according to the scriptures. That was 4,000, by the way, and 288 singers. And, and they set up the ark. He pitched a tent. It, it wasn't um, glamorous by any means, <clears throat> but he arranged with, with, with the priesthood, with the fathers, singers and musicians who would go night and day. They would go night and day to worship this, this, the presence. That, that's, that's, a, that's, a, um, that's a powerful picture to me. David, as a youngster, in the, in the backside of the hills of Bethlehem, he, di he didn't see that coming, but he played his instrument as he took care of his dad's sheep and, and he attended his, his father's, his father's um, business. There's something to be said about singing and playing instruments and the sounds they bring to the heart of God. Uh, we look at, at, at David's son, Solomon's life, who dedicated the temple, the new temple. Uh, you can find that in the scriptures. He arranged singers and musicians to play before the Lord. And the Lord released fire from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices. There was oil there was oil on the, on, the, on, the, on the arrangement of the singers and musicians, and, and it attracted the fire from heaven. It says in that, in that passage that, that the priests couldn't, they couldn't sing, they, they, were, they were so in awe, they couldn't move, the Bible says. <clears throat> they were struck <clears throat> by the reality of his presence. This kind of music went on at various times throughout Israel's history. Each time this order of worship was reintroduced, Hezekiah, Josiah, these were, these were kings that, that found, the, they found the scrolls and they dusted them off. And they said, wow, we got away from this. There was, there was breakthrough that came. Deliverance followed. Likewise, throughout the centuries, over the centuries in Ireland, Germany, South Korea, Elsewhere across the globe, centers of prayer and worship night and day have been established. Following in, in this tradition, in 1999, as many of you might know, the International House of Prayer started a worship and prayer and worship meeting in Kansas City, which continues to this day. Tina and I had the, had the honor and privilege to live in Kansas City for a time. We lived there at the seed, at the seed form before the we, we, we heard prophecies of, of David's tabernacle coming in the 24-7. And, uh, and it was attractive to us. It wasn't the only thing that attracted us to Kansas City, but, but it was one of the things that attracted us there. And uh, two of our children were born in Kansas City, Izzy and, uh, and, uh, and Victoria. Let's consider our Sunday morning gathering here at Oxford Vineyard. Here we got the worship circle coming up next, next week as we get a slice of heaven on earth. I, I, I want to finish in saying that um, Tina has, has graciously, she brings up a YouTube, um, a set, uh, a worship set. We can find a worship set all, all, over the, all over the globe right now. 
that's happening today in Dallas, Texas, Kansas City, Orlando, um, uh, circuit riders out of, out of uh, Huntington Beach. There, there are prayer gatherings that, that are, I won't call it at the tip of our fingers, so to speak. And we've been enjoying, we enjoyed in February, uh, this just last month, 28 nights of worship. And, um, and uh, we, we couldn't make everyone, but we're talking about an hour a night. That, for us, that's like, that's big, if you know what I mean. That's a big commitment, <laughs> one hour a night. But it wasn't, didn't feel like a commitment because we were able to join, join in the heart of what was happening. And so that's what I want to end with today. <clears throat> He's looking for friends. He's looking for good friends. I mentioned to you, uh, 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 he doesn't call us servants. He calls us friends. And I want to say over the Oxford Vineyard, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.